Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Hey everyone, it's Dave Asprey with Bulletproof Radio. Today's cool fact of the day is that we've evolved as humans to have uh, larger skulls and larger brains, and we think probably smarter brains, um, some people excluded, of course. <laughs> this seems like a really good idea, except that the way the skull makes room for your larger brain is by using less bone here in the jaw. That means it's a little bit harder for us to eat tough food, which is okay because we have this amazing technology that's evolved. We're like in version like 4.0 of it. It's called cooking. <laughs> and our teeth have stayed the same size even in our much smaller jaw. And that's one of the reasons you get impacted wisdom teeth because our brains are too big. You also get impacted wisdom teeth for another little reason. And that little reason has to do with what your grandmother ate and what your mother ate. That's epigenetics. But here we're just talking about big teeth, small jaw, big brain. Kind of cool. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today's guest on Bulletproof Radio is a guy you've probably heard from before. I know you've, if you're a longtime listener of Bulletproof Radio, you've definitely met him before. He's a friend. He's a best-selling author, a musician, a speaker, an entrepreneur. Kind of a weird dude, actually, in a good way. And we're talking about the number one rated health podcast, except for Bulletproof Radio, because like we're competing pretty much, number one, number two, quite often. And I'm happy when Abel's number one, because the guest is, of course, Abel James. Abel, you run Fat Burning Man. Uh, you've helped millions of people on their health in a way that's very much in alignment with the things that I talk about. We always hang out at conferences, and you're a good cook. So that's why you're on the show, man. Welcome. Thank you so much, Dave. It's always a pleasure. You also like wrote a, a book, amazing, that you know we tend to write books when we're in this kind of, uh, this kind of a space of helping a lot of people. I got to say, Dave, writing a book is the worst possible thing for your health. It's absolutely true. I, I agree. I stayed up like six days straight when I was in the final editing and I just cranked through tens of thousands of words, but like I slept two hours a night and maybe that's not good for you. Did you wreck yourself on your book? So it was, it was pretty fun while I was writing it. 
then when we got to the whole like back and forth of the publisher thing, not quite as fun. But like, yeah, I, I actually wrote a lot of it internationally from like Bali and Thailand and uh, mostly the middle of the woods. I think a lot of people who have been listening to me, they've been like, where's Abel? Because I haven't recorded an interview on anyone else's show or even my show since like last summer when we unplugged and just uh, I wanted to do that to finish my book. But mostly we've been living off the grid in the woods and it's awesome. We've had a couple of chances to connect while you're doing that, and you've definitely been just sort of out there and and doing uh, doing the things that you actually talk about because your new book, which is called The Wild Diet, and by the way, if you guys haven't guessed, I'm endorsing The Wild Diet. You know, this this is a book that you should definitely check out. It it does have Abel's like family recipes modified to be lower in bad carbohydrates and amazingly gluten free and stuff like that that makes you look and feel good. But along the way, Abel, I think you and I've probably hung out like five times since you unplugged. So it's, it's awesome to have you, you know, back on the air and yeah. And, and I've been digging through the early, uh, early release version of your book and you've got some good recipes in there, uh, but you went with a kind of a, a funky name for it, the wild diet. And you've been living wild. Like you guys really have been like out in the forest. Uh, so what did you, as you're writing this book out in the forest, uh, what did you bring into it? Why is it the wild diet? I, uh, I came up with that name actually a while back, and uh, I, I come from the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire, and I think it's something that a lot of people in my generation and yours as well were getting more and more divorced from what it felt like to be a pioneer back in the day, which is kind of like survivalist stuff wasn't something that you saw in like conservative forums. It was something that was just a part of life for everyone, as was common sense. And as common sense relates to a lot of dietary things, it's it's interesting to see like an environmentalist's approach to eating or like my brother's approach. He's an organic farmer. My grandfather was as well. Some family in dairy farming, maple sugar and all sorts of things in between. So basically, like you said, it, it, it's a lot of family recipes. And, and this this book is kind of like a cookbook disguised as a diet book. It's basically a cookbook that's encapsulated by a bunch of memoirs from my life. And so it's less about being super specific about what you eat and more about giving you the tools to navigate your own family recipes to see if you have any gems in there. It's awesome because most things that you want to create, you, you can create. Uh, when, when I was a raw vegan, um, I definitely had some health declines. First, I felt great in my health decline, but I went through it. And you can make almost everything that you like out of uncooked vegetables. Okay, that's like one end of, of kind of the craziness. And then there's this other end where you're going to eat it just made out of like chemically processed stuff that sort of looks like food or a 3D printed banana instead of just eating a damn banana. Um, okay, that, that's bizarre. But in the middle of where I would pl place sanity, you have recipes that look and taste like real food. They're made of real food, but they don't have the anti-nutrients and the things that probably ought not to be there for, for just having your brain work. So you've basically hacked your family recipes. Yeah. Well, we did it with, I wanted this to be like super inclusive, right? So I took our family recipes, but also combined that with the family recipes of the people who have been working with me for a while. And also my community submitted a bunch of their family recipes. And then Allison, she comes from a more, that's actually where we are right now. If you hear any weird sounds, there are horses behind me and like goats and chickens. And it's right, awesome. Abel, it's not nice to eat the horses, all right? Just so, <laughs> it's the wild diet. <laughs> the horses weren't wild enough. That's okay. Yeah. But anyway, so she comes from a huge, you know, like Mormon raised family out here in Arizona. And they have a bunch of family recipes too. So we tried to combine all those together. Uh, and really make something that can hit all sorts of different palates and personality types as it relates to eating. And also, you know, people from different cultural backgrounds are used to eating different things. So it's nice to put some spice into some and then go almost 100% raw vegan on some others because we have a lot of people. We, we basically want to make good eating something that's not. It doesn't have to be one particular dogmatic diet. It's something that everyone can do. Yeah, and different people feel better on different foods. 
there's some general rules like you know if you're doing lines of MSG off a off a mirror with a razor blade, it, you're probably not going to be optimal. It, it's a pretty good rule for everyone, um, but <laughs> the other end of it, there are some people who need less protein or less fat than others. Uh, but the, the general like hey like, like let's all sort of point in this direction. Uh, you and I have always seen eye to eye on that. Right, and you just kind of want to find what you can get away with. So, I mean, I've found those things, and you've, you've eaten with me or hung out with me. You know that I get away with it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you're, you're definitely uh, one of those guys who can, who can handle his wine, we'll put it that way. I can handle my wine. That, that comes with the territory of being a musician, I think, because that was my currency for a while there. Uh, there you go. It, it was sort of like a, a built-up tolerance. And I still think, though, that wine and just generally drinking a lot does have a biological cost and you know just doing it like once even like one drink every night that's not going to lead to optimal health for long term but like you said can you get away with it can you can you do it and feel good and do it consciously yeah you can it's a totally good point and um one of the things that i do is i love to just like you do guinea pig yourself and put yourself into different scenarios and i may have even brought this up last time or one of the times i was on your show but uh, when I was running marathons, I was, you know, I've always been a runner and loved to do it. And so I was getting a little bit more serious about my own performance. And so I wanted to see what would happen if I drank wine or didn't drink it. And I could tell in terms of perceived effort from one glass of wine, uh, it would also make me about like 10 seconds slower per mile running a 10K. And that was if I kept like perceived effort the same, it would bring me down like 10 seconds. If I had two, it was 20 seconds and that would last for a few days. So, I mean, um, there's something to be said for enjoying a good old glass of Cabernet every once in a while. But for people who have heard the advice that you should be drinking every night to maintain health, I mean, that's, that's something that's too easy to abuse, I think. And there's a huge difference between like having one or two drinks once or twice a week, you know, like two to four drinks or having one to two drinks every night, which could be 14 drinks monumental difference it is and and so it, explaining this in a book is monumentally difficult and, and your book has tons of recipes in it which is really helpful I, when i was doing the bulletproof diet it was about like how do we how do i boil down this this huge kind of body of science to make it accessible and and it, i mean i kind of beat myself up doing it but at the end of the day like you're saying, like, how do you explain the nuance that you just said about, you know, okay, fine, you had a couple glasses of wine Friday night, like, and you weren't going to run a marathon Saturday morning, I, you probably, like you said, got away with it. What are some of the other things that you encourage people to get away with in the wild diet? I think it's more the taking control of your own time as it relates to eating. So I, I know you're a fan of this too. If it works well for you doing bulletproof coffee or something similar in the morning, a lot of times I'll start with fish oil, kind of like a round of supplements. Sometimes, you, put you know, fish oil in your coffee, dude, that's disgusting. <laughs> I've actually, I've actually tried all sorts of different like animal fats in the coffee. And <laughs> Me too. Fat, we can work that out. That, that's not <laughs> you too like bad. that. <laughs> you, you, you it depends on how you doctor it up. You know, if you turn it into like a special kind of recipe, then it's awesome. If you just try it straight, not so good. You got to kind of like play with it a little. I put a teaspoon of, of carefully cooked bacon fat in Bulletproof Coffee a few times. I've tried like probably all the same oils you have, lard. And oh man, I don't know. None of them have ever turned out like epically good. But if you have a secret recipe for bacon Bulletproof Coffee, <laughs> let me know. We'll post it in the show notes. <laughs> totally. We'll have a contest. I like that. Oh my God. <laughs> this is going to create some of the most ungodly concoctions ever. <laughs> I like where this is going. I do too. <laughs> So, all right, let's talk about animal fats. You're a fan of eating more fat. I mean, you do sort of talk about fat burning man and all that. So let's talk about that. What are the reasons that, that you have in your book and just in your system of science about why more healthy fats are important? And long-time listeners know I have a bunch of reasons. We've had a bunch of other guys on. What do you say that's different or in line with what the prevailing high-fat wisdom is? I would say the biggest high level thing is that it tastes awesome. It makes everything else taste awesome and it makes you feel really good too. And it doesn't really make you fat. So did you say it's like fat tastes good? Abel, holy crap. <laughs> but you're right. Like you, you might actually enjoy your food is, is probably one of the biggest reasons to eat fat. So I've tried dieting so many different ways to cut down. You know, I was into bodybuilding type stuff and athletics and uh, cutting fat is something that you hear all sorts of things about. Uh, but I can tell you that yeah, you can lose fat and cut down by 
cutting out fat itself in your diet, but it sucks. It's the worst. And uh, also recently, one of my buddies, I helped him through uh, his first all-fat experiment as a bodybuilder, and he actually uh, placed in the competition going ketogenic for the first time ever. And then once you get down to you know 7 6% body fat, and then again down to 3 you can cycle the carbs and kind of like go up and down. It's more precise at that point. But you, he got down, I think it was all the way to 6% body fat from like 14 on an almost 100% fat diet. I mean, he was still eating plenty of fiber and veggies, but it was pretty much fat and veggies. It's remarkable what happens when you limit protein and, and people sort of say, well, the prevailing bodybuilding wisdom is you got to have like 18 scoops of whey protein every day, every two hours, you know, you just rub it on your skin, you get more in. And <laughs> Tried that. <laughs> I did too. And, and you see this in a lot of the, the low carb, high fat, sort of like anything goes as long as there's not sugar and they'll lose half their weight. And then they're, they're like stuck with this extra excessive protein and excessive toxin weight. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's so weird looking too. It, it is. I, I certainly had that. Like it was all sort of in, in my butt <laughs> and, and this sort of ring around your waist. Right. Uh, that isn't necessarily an insulin response or maybe it's from whey causing insulin. Um, but I've certainly had a few like Bulletproof ambassadors who, who've placed in bodybuilding competitions on keto. But I have this concern with, with bodybuilding in general, and it, it's, it's awesome because this is someone controlling their biology. And I, I used to lift all the time and really wanted to, you know, to get that way. And you can spend a lot of time doing it, but you might not necessarily be doing things that, that make you feel best or make you live longest or make you like, like most vibrant. Like what's the lowest percentage of body fat that you consider to be healthy and sustainable? Well, that definitely depends on the person, but I can tell you once my buddy crossed the like eight to seven percent range, he was miserable. You know, he might have looked great, but he was just miserable and he could never go out, had to sleep every night. You know, wherever he went, he had a tub of veggies that he could snack on miserably. I mean, if you want to do it like a bodybuilder, that's how they do it. It's not something where you're partying all the time and living the Jersey Shore lifestyle, you know what I mean? It, it's really, really specific and it's hard. But I would say like what works for me is around 10% body fat. That's where my body seems to do pretty well if I overeat for a while. Like we just got back from Powder Mountain in, in Utah and we ate like royalty there. It was awesome. And sometimes I do that, especially when I'm exercising a lot. And then when I go back home, I kind of clean it up, do uh, essentially a cleanse, you know, lots of uh, raw veggies and not too much food, like basically to get yourself back into balance. And, and no matter what I do in the past few years, that's pretty much where I've been around 10%. If I put on muscle or even if I lose it, it's still around 10%. And it's, uh, it's a good place to be. And a lot of it depends on you know, your genetics. It depends on how you, how you grew up. And how you train too is huge. Yeah, like what sports true. do you do? Oh yeah, like do you do you lift or do you just you know go for a long jog every day? Because because you're gonna look different <laughs> based on that. I've talked with a bunch of anti-aging guys about this, and there are different people with different perspectives. But around 10, 12 percent, when you're under that, like your resilience and your vibrancy and, and your error, your margin for error goes down. And yeah, well, in, the skinniest people die in a famine, right? Like that's just the way that it works, and or the way that it used to work. It's not necessarily an advantage in the way that everyone seems to see it in our society. It's something that's just kind of variability that's built into a population so that we could survive uh, certain conditions. But it's not, it's not the best for survival. You know, like if I'm going out in the woods on a long hike or going out for three weeks, you know, I'm not going to be low body fat. I want body fat to keep you warm, uh, to make sure that you're comfortable, to make sure that you're not hungry all the time. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of surprising, and uh, there's no doubt that people look good when they're like lean and chiseled. Uh, but <laughs> to look that way all the time and to try and hang out around that, you know, nine percent body fat or, or whatever, or a little bit more for women because of breasts. But I, I find that that for guys, depending on who you talk to and what research you read, but if you're under about eighteen percent, you're probably within the healthy range, and you probably look pretty good. 
right? And you can get lower and lower, but you also then, like you said, around that under 10, under nine, or maybe your, your buddy when he went under seven, it, you get this, this, the hangry feeling. And like, you're pissed off all the time and you're like, oh, I'll have a little bit of protein and then I'll like- Your brain is starving. It, it's true. It, and like, you don't want to feel like, you know, like, like you're mean all the time because you're just like pumped. And I, I spend a I lot of time that you way. you don't eat. It's nasty. Yeah. I, I get all hypoglybitchy and so, no. <laughs> uh, it, it's an interesting thing and it's something I don't think we, we talk about enough is, is that what you are doing when you take control of your biology, not just what does it do for how you look, but what does it do for how you feel? And in, in the wild diet, you have all these recipes. How should people feel when they're eating the kind of things you recommend? Like, like explain it. Use words as, if you can to explain this feeling. Yeah. I even dedicate a whole section of my book to how to taste your food because a lot of people don't go, go through that exercise. It's, it's really tempting to, you know, we're all busy and you have to run off to something, just shove something in your mouth and, and go off. But when you actually pay attention to your food and try to taste whatever passes your lips, that's something that can really improve your whole experience of not just eating, but your entire life. So first and foremost, I try to make my book experience-based. You know, uh, it, it's certainly backed by science, as you well know, because a lot of it is, is similar science. But it's more about the experience of getting back to like, you know, growing up when it was really cold in New Hampshire, my dad was one of five and my grandmother was this Boston gal who married my grandfather and became a farmer. And when they you know, like family dinners, when we got together after a hard day's work or playing, and especially when it was cold, dinner really meant something. It was something that, you know, she took either my mom or, or my dad was also a line cook. Whoever prepared it, you know, it came with a story and it came with all these smells that were going throughout the kitchen and the whole house. And then you come and it's, you spend like pretty much the whole night eating. If you've ever been to Italy and eaten there, you know that like culturally built in, uh, or Spain, or a lot of these other countries that have uh, a longer history, history than us, you see that, that eating is something that is so much more than most people give it credit for. It's something that can totally be the highlight of your life. And the biggest reason I put out a diet book is because I'm a foodie. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I love diets or whatever. It's like, I love food. And so, you know, I've hacked my way into eating the best tasting food that makes you feel the best that I possibly can to share that with other people because it's it's really really awesome <laughs> there, there's a lot of passion uh in in your book and just in, in the way you live and a yeah, passion for food you, you don't have to give up being a foodie uh in order in order to uh, to do this health thing and I I used to think like screw the flavor like you know if it's if it's you know I'll, I'll eat soy lint not that that I think that compositions are own for me but but the general yeah we did a video about that it, it, i remember <laughs> yeah we put that thing up it, it was actually a lot of fun to talk about like but i really did have this perspective like it's it's fuel for the body and sometimes i still talk that way but here's the thing about fuel for the body the body has this amazing like filtration system uh, and i'm not talking your liver and kidneys and skin and stuff here i'm talking about your taste buds okay if you have to blend it up with fruit to make it taste good you probably aren't supposed to be putting it in your mouth. That's bypassing your taste buds, right? So just because it tastes good doesn't mean that it's good for you. But if it doesn't taste good, there's probably a reason for that, and it's okay to listen to that. Yeah. And once you learn to appreciate that honestly with yourself and, and you kind of get away from the process-type flavors, then you can appreciate that kale, fresh kale, tastes good as do carrots and peas and legumes and legumes? Are you some kind of a wuss? Did you say you eat legumes? <laughs> Every once in a while. So one of the things that I think is super important is to give yourself permission to whatever it is that you love, have a little bit of it, but know exactly what it is and what it's doing for you. Uh, and what it's doing to you. So if there's something that you appreciate or love, have a little bit of it and enjoy every second of it. If there's something that you taste and you're just like, I don't really taste anything, maybe it's not fresh, then don't get it next time. Go for the thing, like everything can taste amazing. 
as, as long as it's fresh. I'm with you there. And it's one of the reasons that on my hierarchy of like, is it likely to be kryptonite or not? Legumes are higher than beans. They have less lectins and they're better tolerated than pinto beans are for most people. So like if you can eat lentils and you know, you're not sitting crooked and you know, bloated the next day, all right, that, <laughs> good. And, and so it's that whole, that whole individualized thing. And I'm pretty sure that if you ate you know, six cups of lentils that you wouldn't like how you felt after that either. So there's, there's a volume limit and then there's a individual tolerance limit. And then there's, do they taste good to me? And, and it's that triangle for everyone, for every food. It doesn't matter if you go to McDonald's. You're like, are you getting their like chemical laden salad or are you getting the Big Mac? Like one of them is probably better than the other. I'm not sure which one though. Less bad. <laughs> I know. <laughs> bad, there we go, I like that. So you and I both used to work in, in more high tech, you know, big business kind of environments. Uh, and, and I think both of us are a little bit happier now that we spend more time focusing on uh, just, you know, on, on helping other people and, and just doing, doing things we love and, and exploring some new territories that maybe, that maybe weren't what, what we were exploring before. And you used to work for like Fortune 500 food marketing kind of companies, right? I did. And that's the interesting thing about Fat Burning Man and kind of where I came from is that before that, I was blogging anonymously as Honest Abe. <laughs> my, my website was called, a lot of people don't know this. My website was called HonestAbesTips.com. And it was like a little picture of, yeah, a little picture of Abraham Lincoln like peeking out from the side of the keyboard. So I, I had been doing this for a while, but Fat Burning Man was basically me on my best behavior interviewing other people to get their opinions so that I didn't have to basically like tell people dogmatically what was going on because legally I couldn't either. You know, when you work with some of these big companies, there are a lot of rooms that you just can't walk out of. There are trade secrets, there are proprietary marketing things. And even though I didn't do it uh, in food for very long because it was so gross to me, <laughs> I still had a lot of things in my head and still do that I can't really just say to uh, the end consumer because it's it's a part of something that is so high level that they won't really let it out. There's also a bunch of legal restrictions when you're a food company as to what you're allowed to say, right? Um, can you go into a little bit of that? Are you familiar with some of the, the regulatory things food companies can or can't say even if they want to? Well, you know, I think what's going on right now, the biggest problem is that in America especially, you don't know what you're getting at all. You don't know where it comes from. There are, on the, even on the ingredients, which is something that I recommend everyone read on everything they buy, the ingredients themselves are kind of like broken down into subcategories of things that could be what they say they are or something not at all what they say they are. So like natural flavors is one example I bring up in the book, yeah. which can actually be made of the anal secretions of beavers. I knew you were going to go to the beaver anus. You always bring up the beaver anus. Always go to the beaver butt. I mean, because it's, <laughs> it's so, it, it's funny, but then you think about it and you're like, God, that is not funny at all. And if they're doing it with beaver anus, like think of all the other, like, I mean, I, how do you, I know how do you a lot a of them and you know a lot of them. Like, it's, like it's, where do you find a beaver and how do you get to it? Like, it's, I don't know. You're the one who lives in Canada. Uh, uh, there's actually one in the backyard. My food tastes great. I, I don't even understand the animal cruelty that has to be involved in like killing an animal for that in order to put it into like your candy bar. It, it's just uncool. It's preposterous. And that's where we're at with food in America. We don't know if it's genetically modified. I think, you know, there are things like that where by the time they are required to label it, you know, things like genetic modification, by then maybe good science will be behind it and it actually will be kind of like a semi good or bad thing. And then we still won't know if it's good or bad then. But I can tell you right now, the stuff that is not labeled for a reason is bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know so I, that? I have a, a relative um, who shall remain nameless uh, who works for Monsanto. And uh, it, it's actually been a, a shame for the whole family. <laughs> no, um, but but the the project is is you know how do you how do you modify common seed oils so that they make more of the types of fatty acid you want? Okay, and that's actually 
potentially a useful form of genetic manipulation. And it's also possible to do some cool stuff where you, you might like genetically modify something and see what happens and go, okay, that's what that gene does. I'm not gonna like let that into the wild because that could cause all sorts of, of havoc. But now I know I can selectively breed in that direction. Like, like there's huge knowledge in genetics. Uh, and I think you and I are both in favor of understanding it. But here's the thing that scares the heck out of me. You can take that knowledge and you can breed plants that make less saturated fat because you have this old 1970s belief that saturated fat's bad for you. But if we had the science right and we looked at clinical data and we did real studies, like hopefully what Gary Taubes and Nusi are doing, maybe then we could take those genetic engineering tools and those basically breeding tools, the hybridization, the way we used to do it, and we could then make plants that are even more healthy for us. And we could do it in a way that's coherent with our soil biome, with our pollution levels and with everything else. But right now, not only are they doing it wrong, they're going in the wrong direction. <laughs> right. And it, they're not doing it for us. Right. And, and that's the biggest thing that I think people need to be aware of is, yeah, there's tinkering that we don't understand. And there's a lot of it in our food. You don't need to understand it, but you should understand that it's not being done for you. It's being done to improve profits, to increase yields, all these things like that these billion-dollar corporations are doing to make more and more billions of dollars from cheap food that isn't serving you as it relates to your health. And that's something that like, I wish everyone just could accept that right now because it's the biggest roadblock, I think, politically for a lot of good science being done, which needs to be done, not sloppy science that's kind of biased and looking at something that's not related to human health at all, but opening it up so that we can all be helped by the science, but from the smart people who are working in that field. Yeah, there are lots of people who are working to do good. And um, I, I once sat next to, at a neuromarketing conference, I sat next to the chief marketing officer for Monsanto. And number one, it was kind of scary that Monsanto was at a neuromarketing conference. <laughs> right. I'd um, love to be a fly on the wall. Though. <laughs> you know, it was, it was a good conference. There, there were actually, there was no talk of like, you know, dark manipulation of people. It was more like our advertising has an effect on people. It was at Stanford um, and it was, it, it was an academic conference. And I hang out at the weirdest places, but it was awesome. But I talked to him yes, for a while. Yes, you do. I know that because I'm there too. <laughs> That's a fair point. We're probably the guys in the back laughing. And, uh, um, the cool thing, though, was was this guy, and I forget. I am apologizing. I apologize. I don't remember his name, but he was not a bad guy. You know, he didn't have horns, um, although I think he was genetically trying to grow some. But honestly, he was just a guy who, who really believed in his mission, which was that we were going to feed all these people. And he wasn't just talking the talk. Like you can tell when someone's a corporate shill. And, and so sometimes what you and I perceive as insane behavior is actually bad assumptions. And I. Uh, I'll go back like 20 years at Santa Barbara. I was a gaucho there. Uh, I took this class called Religion and Violence. And, and we listened to Jim Jones and we listened to all these like horribly like like where religion had turned into violence. And and I took it because being, you know, a young, arrogant guy, I was like, ah, religion probably is bad. I'll just learn more about why it causes people to kill each other. Right. But. What it was interesting, it was taught by a rabbinical scholar, and this is a very learned man. Like, in order to be a rabbinical scholar, you have to be a, pretty much a badass intellectually and from an academic perspective. And he said, "Well, why, uh, why would, you know, why would people do this?" And I raised my hand. I'm like, "Because they're all nuts, right?" And that was my perspective. And he looked at me and said, "That would be a profound mistake to make, young man." And, and I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And he said, "The problem is that their assumptions and their worldview." are so different from yours that their behavior looks different, but their, their behavior is actually rational. And so the, the fight that you and I are fighting, or more less than a fight, just more the life that you and I are living, is, is much more about shifting our knowledge and our assumptions so that our behavior will align. Because just changing behavior, if you still believe the wrong, the wrong things, when I say believe, I mean science principles. Uh, so if you believe that, you know, it's okay to use soil to prop up crops instead of so soil to support the growth of crops and that they're different animals, then you're going to behave in a certain way that leads to more environmental destruction and, and a worse situation for everyone. So I, I think what we do is really important and the wild diet is very important because you're teaching people 
ways to look at the world that then leads to behavior that self-reinforces just our, our humanity, our, our ability to perform and feel good. So thank you for doing the same stuff that, that you're doing because it's, it's really important and that's why it's important. It, it's the underlying stuff, not just, hey, eat this meal cooked with this many calories. Like, that's not the point. Uh, tell me about pumpkin pie, though. Just, just sorry. Just you know, it's, it's, that was my segue to pumpkin pie. Anyway, <laughs> the pumpkin pie recipe that we have in there is cool because it started with. I love pumpkin pie, especially when I was running a lot. You know, I'd come back and sometimes eat a whole pumpkin pie, and uh, it was always one of my favorites around the holidays. And so I did my best to come up with like the best pumpkin pie that I could still eat and would be okay. And then Allison went to work on it, made it a little bit better. And we combined it with my mom's recipe from way back in the, the dairy farmer generation. And we made a pretty epic apple pie. And Allison also went on to make like a bacon bourbon apple pie. And I mean, it's foodie pure bliss. I just love it. We eat it every day too. There's a bacon crust these, yeah? <laughs> well, you can kind of put a bacon crust on anything. And it'll, it'll usually taste better. But the cool thing is like, so obviously we're not eating uh, pumpkin pie every day, but we might be eating something a little bit like it every day. My kids have it for breakfast sometimes. It, it's okay to eat pumpkin pie every day. If it's made with real food and it's not full of sugar, it's like... That's the thing. It, it's like pumpkins are vegetables, right? <laughs> totally. Yeah. And that's what we want to do. Like my mom made this amazing red velvet cupcake when I went back there a few years ago and she made it with beets. Like that was the thing that used to make it red-ish. It's not red like the, the crushed up beetles that you see in most <laughs> food Aww. coloring that's out today. Mixed with beavers. But, that's great. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. But food used to be made with real food and you can still do that. So like using sweet potatoes, pumpkins, squash, and things like that, beets, to put into your baked goods or to put into foods that you might not expect as a flavoring agent and as kind of like a texture really, really works. And that way you can eat things that seem super indulgent like uh, pumpkin pie for breakfast or my mom will have a little bit of like a coffee cake that we make or something like that with her coffee in the morning. And it's not something that's going to ruin you the way that coffee cake from anywhere else will. It didn't used to be like that. You know, like people used to drink coffee and smoke cigarettes and eat pie every day and whatever at diners. And they didn't have the same problems that we do today. It's not like we're completely broken and bankrupt of any strength. Your body can still put up with a lot and eat pretty good food as long as you're conscious about what you're doing and you know what's good, you know what's not so good. Yep. And, and so teaching people how to sense that versus how to just like read it in a table is, is pretty important. Yeah. That would be, a, I didn't want to write like a 3,000 page book. <laughs> you know? know. It's hard. <laughs> most people don't want to read that. The reason that we understand, Dave, you know, like what's going on is because we've been doing this for years and interviewing the smartest people about this. We have a huge head start to get that sort of education from books would be impossible or would take the rest of your life in a lot of ways. So trying to distill it, I, I totally appreciate your struggle because it's mine too. Trying to distill it down to a, a, a small-ish book is really, really tough. So I did my best to give people the tools that would allow them to think for themselves because we really used to. And the world that we live in today, we're barraged by so much misinformation in marketing and media that we kind of need that slap on the wrist from our collective grandmother saying, you know, sugar's bad, <laughs> don't eat junk. Most of this health food that we see today is junk that's in disguise. Yeah, and I, I'm kind of worried about gluten-free. I go to the store. And paleo. That's a fair point. I, 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 you see a gluten-free paleo thing, and you're like, okay, paleo isn't, uh, isn't protected. Like, you, you can have basically paleo. You could take a Snickers bar and put a paleo sticker on it. There's nothing stopping that from happening other than public scorn. <laughs> so, so the line of yeah, what's but there's paleo. so many things out that that might as well be a Snickers bar. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And I saw that happening even at that first uh, paleo conference that we, that we uh, actually where we met the first time. Yeah. Paleo FX and, a long time ago, right? Yeah. Are you going back? That was cool. Are you going to be there? Uh, I don't know. It depends on where I, because I'm releasing an album and kind of doing a whole tour thing too. So I'm kind of shifting gears, but we'll see. I, I would like to see a lot of people there. But yeah, the first time I was, I, I met 
Dave, he was carrying around a bunch of his coffee and we're like, who is this guy? He's got a grinder in the back and <laughs> getting out ready to go. Then we recorded a, a video about bacon. I wonder if we could dig that up. I you remember that thing. It, it might be somewhere. We did a bacon video. It would be really embarrassing. <laughs> it was super embarrassing because I think we were both kind of getting going on social media. And I, I remember I, I never released it because I, I just didn't I, I didn't have all the video editing stuff I needed back then. But but there was a campaign that was uh, basically some, some very thin women saying, are, are you vegan sexual? Like, I would only have sex with a vegan. I would never kiss a man who ate flesh. So what, what I did is I was like, I need to find like young, attractive paleo people who generally look vibrantly healthy and ask them to say, oh, my God. I'm paleosexual, and I can't imagine having sex with someone who isn't fertile because they haven't eaten any saturated fat in five years. And and so you were with your now wife, but at the time, I think you guys had just met not so long recently. And you guys were clear, you were clearly in love, and Allison's there, and so each of you is like, I'm paleosexual, and it was the best video ever, and I wish I wish I knew where I put it. We gotta find that thing. But anyway, to get back to that point, one of the reasons I didn't use paleo too much as a name wasn't just because one of the paleo guys tried to trademark it and sue me for selling his own supplements or whatever, but also because <laughs> paleo is so easy to abuse as a, as a, you know, very reductionist framework. Would a caveman have eaten this or not? It's a really cool tool. It's a good lens to look through. But when you start slapping it on the label of something that has like 22 grams of sugar in it and is made with grains, <laughs> even though they're kind of like pseudo grains or whatever, and all this other stuff that a caveman clearly wouldn't eat, then it kind of falls apart. The problem is when people hear about paleo and all the good things about it, they go out and buy the things that other manufacturers are slapping labels on that are not paleo in that sense at all. That, that's one of the reasons that when I started, I, I protected a Bulletproof. It's a registered trademark. Uh, and it has been since since the very, very early days, because there are lines you don't cross. <laughs> and for something to be bulletproof, it has to actually be bulletproof or it's not. You can may say it's healthy. You can say it's high fat or whatever. Um, but like there's a meaning to that. And and um, like there's a bunch of uh, there's a problem on Amazon. And you'll probably see this with a wild diet. Like two days after it comes out, there'll be a dozen people selling the wild diet knockoff books and and shame on you amazon for allowing that like this is essentially like when napster used to allow metallica's album to be downloaded um, but it's even worse because it's not metallica's music it just says metallica on the cover yeah that happened with our apps within days too people would just go and even if you trademark it it really doesn't even make a difference because they're scammers to begin with they're hard to find yeah my my legal yeah. people are finding them and you know we have a swat team we actually go to their houses and we throw actually um vegan food at them uh, and they're just they're covered in like tomatoes and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and there are some though. By the way, like there's there's people who are actually g genuine fans who are working to do that. It's like okay, like we can have a conversation. We, we can make sure it's really bulletproof. But it, you know what it's like, and and it's it, it's funny because you've been down the app thing and and you've seen this before. But but let's shift gears a bit because we're we're coming up towards the end of of the time we've got. And you've done some stuff that has nothing to do with the wild diet. And some stuff that has uh, nothing to do with really with the fat burning man. And, and one of them is you, uh, I think I stayed with you at South by Southwest in, in Austin, but you, you picked up roots. You've been living in an RV, cruising around and literally living kind of the, the wild life and that you're just you know, out in the forest and you're reconnecting with nature and you've been impossible to reach by email. And all those things. Or phone. Or phone, right. So you, you've been basically like a nomadic dweller in the U.S. You guys don't have kids. <laughs> You're in a relatively flexible job, right? The vast majority of people who are listening to this would probably love to do the same thing. Heck, I'd love to do the same thing. It's, it's a little bit of work uh, when you have two young kids in school because the schools like them to show up and all that. So... Is there a way that, that mere mortals can do some, some semblance of what you've done to sort of reconnect with nature over the past few months? Totally. What All you have do? to do, yeah. <laughs> and, and to your point, it, it is a lot easier before you have kids and before you're you know, saddled down with, with some other responsibility. And that's why we're doing our best to do it right now because we finally have you know, the financial resources, the lifestyle kind of like hammered down. And the time without kids, because we're going to try in the next year or two. Uh, you guys are um, going to make epic parents, just so that's thank clear. You. But we're just trying to get our wiggles out now because we know we still can. So we want to be sick of traveling by then. But, you know, like, basically, I want this to be testament to 
if we can do this while traveling all over the world in, in a lot of places that don't have, you know, bulletproof food, certainly, they, I mean, it's really hard to do it on the road. But that should just be more fodder that says if you're at home, you have things that are predictable, restaurants that you know have good food, places to go shopping to get good food. If you have that around you, make sure to not make excuses about getting that stuff because you can just build it right into your routine in a way that people who are traveling all the time can't. So it's not always like good to be traveling. In fact, sometimes it's a huge challenge. But in terms of the nature thing, it's amazing. Whenever I go visit or, or with Allison as well, we go visit people all over the country, all over the world. And one of the first things we do is find a park nearby so that we can you know, just get outside. I always, having gone to a bunch of conferences with you, Dave, you know very well that I can't stand to be in a room with fluorescent lights or just, you know, that's kind of enclosed in any way. I love being outside. I love going for a walk. So the first thing we do is always find, you know, a bit of water or a bit of land where we can just kind of chill out and relax. And a lot of people would be surprised. Like even I was with Pedram a couple of weeks ago and he had never been to this place. And, and that for, was just this, for people listening, by the way, Pedram, I think he's been on both of our shows. He, he's a friend yeah. who runs well.org and just released Origins, the movie that, uh, April, you were in Origins, right? Yeah. Yeah, we were both in the movie. So anyway, just that's who Pedram is. You've heard him on the show before. Go ahead. Yeah, he's a great dude. So we were at his house and he has two labs and, and we have one. And he had never been to this place before. It's 21 minutes away and it's this like vast wilderness area. And we get out there and he's like, oh my God, this is awesome. I'm like, how long have you been living here, man? <laughs> you know. But basically I was, you know, we were the excuse to, to get out there and go. So let me be that excuse to you, even if I'm not at your house, like go find a place that's, uh, that's in drivable or even walkable distance to just go be outside, listen to birds, listen to animals. It helps to, I, I have a whole section, you know, as a musician, I, I wanted to spend a lot of attention on this. The soundscapes that you hear are really important to your brain function. They do things to you that you don't even realize. So don't fall into the wrong trip. You know, essentially the New York soundscape, soundscape of, of blaring sirens and alarms and uh, all sorts of sounds that kind of like heighten your arousal too much go and listen to a babbling brook or some birds tweeting at you or something like that. Even if you just plug in your headphones and do it from your house, that can be a huge help in trying to get a little bit more wild, a little bit back. You want your body to be closer to the world that, is, that it's adapted to be in, which is so far divorced from the one that we're living in now. I mean, even in the past 10 years, it's completely changed. So you're advocating not that we all put on loincloths and live in caves, but that we just take a little step closer to nature and that it's probably a good choice? Right. And the, the more little steps that you take, you'll always see a next one. You'll take one, you'll feel a little better, and then you'll kind of get an idea, well, maybe I'll, I'll try this, you know, or um, go outside a little bit more. But uh, one thing that Americans don't do is take their own vacations. Take your vacation and go somewhere that uh, is, is basically the opposite of Las Vegas. <laughs> go somewhere that is, you know, like the Grand Canyon instead of Las Vegas. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's tempting to go on stressful vacations or, or fancy ones, but sometimes the opposite is, is just what the doctor ordered. And the last time I saw you was at the Peter Diamandis event and you were wearing a fancy new watch. It wasn't an iWatch, was it the Samsung? What was that watch? Samsung Gear S. It's right over there, actually. All right, so, so what this is, if you haven't seen this thing, I would not seen one before, it, it makes the iWatch look like, look like a kid's toy. All right, so what's going on with this thing is uh, they're able to get it. If you're watching on video, you can actually, you can actually see it. But, and you can see Dave's awesome shirt. Oh, yeah, check this out. It's got, an, it's got an astronaut on there. But the, the cool thing is, is you're talking about being wild, but you're not disconnected from technology. Like if you were a caveman, your loincloth would have a little iPhone pocket. Totally. And this is, it's just the nerd that I came here with, right? Like I, I'm a mountain man, but I also love tech and we're living in Star Trek, whether we realize it or not. I mean, the things that we have are absurd. So I have it right here. If you're watching the video version, basically what this watch is, is a smartphone that goes on your wrist. It also is cool things like it measures UV light to see if you're going to get a sunburn. It is its own phone. So it has its own SIM card. Uh, you don't need your phone with it. And so this is one of the reasons that I have it, Dave, is because I don't like having my phone. But if I'm 
you know, mountain biking for three hours or running or hiking or something like that, it's a pretty good idea to have a phone with you. And this also measures like a pedometer or if you go biking, it measures a lot of your activity, tracks it and combines that with a GPS. So it does a lot of things to basically make your phone irrelevant. So for someone like me, keeping up with tech actually gets tech out of the way of my life a lot of the time. And it's pretty cool. So, so the idea here is, is that you are, you're wild, but you're not a Luddite. Right. Yeah. And it, I think it's important to kind of accept that it can be both ways. You know, you can use technology in a way that your body likes, as opposed to just like, you know, I would much rather have a phone on my wrist, uh, on the end of one of my extremities than like blasting it right next to my brain. You know, whatever the heck it's spitting at you. We know some things that are bad, but I can almost guarantee that we don't know most of them that are really messing with us. So like use tech to get away from what is clearly bad tech. That is a great quote there because we're doing a lot of harm that we haven't acknowledged. This, this whole thing about our assumptions not matching our, our behavior or our behavior matching our assumptions, but the assumptions are wrong. I, I am fully convinced that we could make mobile phones and Wi-Fi antennas that enhanced human resilience didn't take right. it away. Like, yeah, we like, talked about this. Yeah. Totally. And, and they should be doing that right now. It's only like a $500 billion market opportunity. Like, it's probably not worth the trouble. <laughs> so, all right, one more question here, um, aside from the final question that I've already asked you a couple times, but I always like to pick your brain one more time. So being the typical sort of crazy guy you are, you just recorded an album in Nashville with members of the Tim McGraw band. What's up with that? Like, like, just give me the whole, like, like, okay, we just talked about the Wild Diet book that's coming out, and now you're like, oh, yeah, I'm recording with, like, a complete musician, like, legend. So people don't know this. You've spoken twice at the Bulletproof Conference about uh, basically neuroscience and music, and you are a musician. Um, but, okay, how did you hook up with Tim McGraw, and, like, what are you guys doing that you can talk about? It's such a crazy story because basically, and I'm, I know you can relate to this, Dave, you get a lot of comments and, and emails and thank you notes and stuff like that from people. But every once in a while, there's one that stands out. And so I got one uh, a little more than a year ago now, maybe coming up on two years, that was just like the, the best, most meaningful thank you note I had received that I, that I could remember receiving from a musician named Denny. And I kind of read down at the bottom. Turns out he's the band leader for the Tim McGraw band. And uh, so I, I had him on the show. We talked and totally hit it off. The man is, is like a, a saint. And uh, he lost 46 pounds uh, on the wild diet. He was a huge fan of the show. And uh, the rest of the band, a lot of the other guys kind of got into it and got into I, I brought them bulletproof coffee when they came through Austin. And uh, yeah, it was super fun. And uh, a lot of the guys, it was, it was crazy. I start the book with this, but I walk on the tour bus with Allison when they come through Austin. And like the fiddle player is just like, oh my God, fat burning man. I can't believe you're here. And I'm just like, this is, you guys are really, really listening. This is awesome. They brought out like a big bag of Brazil nuts to show me and all these, these like fresh vegetables. They showed me emu oil. They were totally like fanboys of our stuff, you know, like the, the podcasting world. Cause that's where they go to get their health information. And I was just so floored by that. But then we went back and like jammed at my place and we ate a whole bunch of delicious food. And then he, Denny had me out to Nashville to play with a bunch of his crazy cats who, you know, toured with Elton John, Billy Joel, Bonnie Raitt, Crosby, Sills, Nash and Young. Like it's incredible people. And they all, you know, Fat Burning Man, while I was really focusing on that, it wasn't just like the content. It was also proof of concept of how to get media out there direct from creator to someone who's a fan or following. So I wanted to do that to kind of like, uh, I was actually taking time off of music to do that and it connected me back up with it. And so the name of the album that we all recorded in Nashville is called Swamp Thing. And <laughs> it's uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of one of those things that came out of nowhere. I'm, uh, you might see a saxophone behind me. I'm about to lay down some sax tracks on that. And I'm just super stoked because, you know, this, this wouldn't have been possible five 10 years ago, but now like the gatekeepers don't matter as much in book publishing, in getting your message out there on the internet, like people who are listening to this right now are proof of that. And we're just super stoked because now we can jam and just let the music speak for itself. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to hear it. And it's hilarious that you chose Swamp Thing. If, if 
if people haven't seen that movie from like the early late 70s, early 80s, it, it's like genetic engineering gone mad and a, and a man gets accidentally genetically mixed up with like some swamp algae and becomes like the protector of the swamp. So I think it's hilarious that, that, that you pick that as the name. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's a super fun one. We just like got into the studio and basically tried out a bunch of songs and wound up that weekend with 12 of them. Uh, we recorded 12. They were pretty much all like one take. It was unbelievable, but super fun. So I'm, I'm excited. We're going to be releasing that after the book, The Wild Diet, which comes out April 7th. Also, I'll just mention this watch. Uh, we're giving one away on our website. We might give away a few, but you can go to wilddietbook.com for all the giveaways and fun stuff. Uh, awesome. I was actually going to ask you for that at the end. We'll make sure to put in the show notes. No, but it's good. Say it again. One more time. Here's where to go for Amy's right. book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're giving away um, a watch. We're giving away drones and all sorts of other fun stuff, as well as like my favorite skillet. You can go to wilddietbook.com. Uh, and if you'd like my podcast, uh, it's Fat Burning Man. You can find that in the, the podcast store, as well as on my website, fatburningman.com. So Sign up for the email list and you can just hear about all this stuff, I guess. Yeah, you're, you're always doing something new and fun. Now, Always a little crazy. For sure. Now, we're coming up on the end of the show and I ask this question every time and I don't know what to do when someone's been on the show a couple times, but I always ask the same question, so I'll just kind of repeat myself. But what I found is the few times I interview someone more than once, their answers sometimes change because yeah, this is an totally. off-the-cuff thing. So your top three things for people who want to perform better at whatever they do in life, top three most important recommendations from anything you've ever done. Okay, first one. Listen to my other top three on the other two interviews. Oh, that's, come on. That's, that's like a asking for right more there. wishes. You can't do that. <laughs> I know. Totally. <laughs> no, I would say if you want to improve your life right now, do what we talked about, that exercise of enjoying your food. Every time you eat it, it's, uh, it's something that you have to repeat and tell yourself every day. It's, it's tempting to lose sight of it. So control your attention while you're eating and you'll enjoy everything more. Did, did you say two, attention or intention? I said attention, okay, but cool. intention also works. Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> I, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Number two, get outside. Even if it's the winter time, it's good for you to experience the seasons, whether they be hot or cold, get some sun, go find that park that is probably somewhere nearby. And number three, try a recipe from my book. Nice. No one caught that. If you can't, if you can't get the book, we have so many free recipes that are out there from myself at fatburningman.com with Allison, who's just such an amazing cook. And we're going to be putting a lot of like food stuff out there. But try like kind of, I, I guess, a secret food that you love, like ours would be pumpkin pie that might seem like a junk food. Try to see if you can find a recipe like that anywhere. You know, it doesn't have to be for me, obviously. Um, they're easy enough to find now. Find something, you know, like a healthy mac and cheese that's made with cauliflower instead of, you know, disgusting grains. Find something that is one of your favorite comfort foods that you haven't eaten in a little while and make a healthy version of it for you and the people you love. Um, that is something no one's ever said in about 200 episodes. And what a, what a great piece of advice that last one is. You don't have to deny yourself to be feeling amazing. So. Totally. Abel, throw down your book's URL one more time in case people didn't get it. If you're driving in your car right now, you should like, you know, well, uh, legally you're supposed to pull over. But if you're like most people, you just do, you put your cell phone down right under the edge of the dash so you won't get a ticket. You can just write down wilddietbook.com. Just remember it, even if you're not driving. Uh, and check it out because Abel's got a good book. There's amazing recipes in there. So uh, my strongest recommendation and, and Abel, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks, Dave. Always a pleasure. Hey, everyone. If you enjoyed today's episode, I certainly did. Abel's a good friend, and it's always a pleasure to have him on the show. Uh, I do this uh, to share important knowledge, get you guys connected with new ideas, new things happening. If this is helpful to you, I'd love it if you could do one of two things, or maybe both. Swing on by Bulletproof.com and pick up your latest round of Bulletproof coffee or some of the other new stuff. I'm, I'm making all kinds of new stuff all the time that changes how you feel. Or, barring that, and this is free, head on over to iTunes and click 
I really like this. Put in a comment. Just let people know that like this show is useful, that it's helpful, that it's not just entertaining, that it had some value in it besides just having a good time because that's baseline. We, of course, we want to have a good time, but there's, there's got to be more. Have an awesome I second day. that. Say something. <laughs> Say something. There you go. It really matters. It's awesome. It does. And while you're at it, it's just as simple to go to Fat Burning Man and click like and put a comment for Abel because he's cool too. <laughs> Thanks, Abel. One of the best kept secrets on UpgradedSelf.com is our upgraded vanilla. Vanilla sounds like such a plain kind of boring spice. When you process vanilla the right way, it actually makes you feel sort of a mental clarity. This is pure ground vanilla pods from Madagascar that are processed in a specific way using the Bulletproof process to break down and avoid the formation of mold toxins. We've made an incredibly fragrant, amazing Vanilla that is wonderful put in any beverage, but specifically Bulletproof Coffee. You actually feel different when you try this grade of vanilla. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.